record there. Let's do record. Cheers, uh, cheers. through the air because uh, yeah. there's Eric, like cheers. Good to see you guys again. Good to yeah. see you guys back. I mean, it's our favorite too long. guests, our favorite duo. I think we can accurately say that without hurting anyone's feelings because no. you guys are incredible. So we might appreciate that. The duo stipulation is in there, I'm sure. Well, we like you guys. You're, you guys are like the better looking, smarter, more, more talented, intelligent. more intelligent version of, version of, of us. us. Yeah, no, only so. Two here of those you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Once you see no, our, you guys are great. Once you see our movie, you'll understand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they were quite wrong. <laughs> so, where are you at now with the movie? How? What do you still have left? Whoa, wait, who's on? So I was thinking, oh, yeah, you guys well, let could me introduce do like, yourself. Should I do, should oh, yeah, do a quick point. that intro? way the listeners can know which voice belongs to who. All right, so let me do a little, a little intro. Welcome everyone to Twin Shadows Podcast, the podcast about films, filmmaking, and filmmakers. You're joined as always by the. Two greatest co-hosts and two greatest guests of all time. Joined me by my oh. right is uh, Mr. Stephen Tejas. Hello. Across from Stephen is the great and powerful Jared J. Mason. Very happy to be here. And across from Jared is the sexy, handsome, rugged Batman personality, Clark Runsman. Nice to be here. And yeah, I'm thank Tom. You. So, <laughs> welcome everyone to Twin Shadows Podcast. I feel like Clark got the best. Introduction. I really yeah, liked I mine up until you did Clark's. <laughs> well, I will say I had time. <laughs> I was thinking about them all simultaneously, mm-hmm. and Clark got the most thought. Uh, what are we drinking? We are. Oh, uh, our lovely guests brought us a gift. Oh, and that gift was is sorry. My grammar and English is terrible. English is not my first language. Dog shit is. <laughs> Brothers Bond straight bourbon whiskey, hand selected batch. That is very sweet. We have sweet. almost consumed the entire bottle. <laughs> it's like Par for the course for juice. our episodes. Don't worry. There are backup scotches. Thank God. And nice. the wings. There's a lot of alcohol to go around. So we were uh, talking about movies and where we are in uh, our film. And Stephen, did you want to take that off? Uh, take, start that off? Take it off. Uh-oh. He's going to start turning <laughs> down right. the lights. Right, we do have to escalate the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so where are we? We're finishing up another draft of the edit. Mm-hmm. Tom's convinced that as soon as we get this, uh, we'll be picture locked. I'm hoping that's the case, but you know, we still got a lot to do, I think, just finessing everything. I mean, let me ask you guys that because you edited your film, right? And I'm sure there's a lot you'll have to tell us about your whole odyssey with the filmmaking, but um, when you finished. Or when you got picture lock, did you feel like you actually had picture lock? Or was it, hey, let's just stop editing and finish so we have a movie to show someone? Uh, we got it down close to 120 minutes, was which was the goal. And uh, we had some editing woes uh, with our first hire. So um, it was not our first choice to edit ourselves. Um, that was out of necessity and a lack of money. So um, I think it was 160 minutes or something when we got to start. The, yeah, the, 240 and change. Two hours, 40 minutes and change. Yeah. Um, so it was, and that was including everything we wanted. So like mm. we didn't really have big chunks to cut and it was really just um, paring it down without losing much of the story. Um we had to kill a couple darlings and lost some really nice shots that we kind of had specifically for having nice shots. 
And um, conversely, there were things that we had to leave in there because we shot so much in oneers with no coverage. We did not pick up nearly, uh, if any, like insert shots. Um, so we just had nothing to cut to. So if there was <laughs> something that was important in yeah. a scene, uh, in two different parts of a scene, and the oneer was four to seven minutes long, well, that whole four to seven minutes is staying in there unbroken. So there were definitely cuts I wish we could have made instead of the other ones that we did for time, but you know, you live and you learn. Yeah, Does this not sound like yeah, exactly everything that we've been going through? It's so we, funny you mentioned that because that's literally what the last podcast is about is insert shots and um, pickups. They're important. And how we had to reshoot a lot of those um, uh, after principle, especially like the inserts and just needing those specifically so you could cut a shot. Mm -hmm. And then with us, I think we just got in our brain that we really wanted that one or that master shot. And it was like, okay, that's what we really want. Yeah, the coverage is cool, but we really want that master. And then once we got into the editing room, it was like, Jesus Christ, I wish we, we could get rid of most of this master and just trim it down a lot. You know? Yeah, our director of photography gave us that insight before we shot the movie and we chose to ignore him. Yeah, and our gaffer really? brought it up while we were on set. And we were like, we're editing in our heads, guys. So uh, we know that there's not going to be an insert <laughs> well, shot here. <laughs> also with you guys, it's a little different because you had the location only for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And you had eight days, right? We shot in eight days. That's right. So it, you didn't really have the option. Like Steve and I have been working on this movie for six years now. And so we've... <laughs> one thing that is like, because like just things have kind of gone off the rails, but... One thing that we noticed is, and we didn't start really getting traction until we realized that we did have to kill those darlings. There were scenes that were just like, you know what? Nothing we do will make this scene work. And then once we cut things and we realized like, oh my God, this is the movies. Like we thought we had just to go full comedy mm -hmm. and like take like the funniest takes because we were like, this movie is not scary. It's not, <laughs> there's no tension. Like what is going on? And then we started cutting some of these key scenes and we're like, oh, the movie's getting... It's scary again. Oh, <laughs> we can bring our actors. We can just show their faces sometimes instead of having them say our cringy dialogue mm -hmm. that they didn't understand when they were delivering it. Oh, and fascinating. And that kind of led us to kind of where we are now, which is, I think, the strongest the film's ever been. Do you guys ever think uh, that if you could go back, you would have done, would have uh, gone and got those pickups? Absolutely. Yeah. The movie's still about at least I would say maybe 10 minutes too long. Um, it's repetitive in places that you don't notice until you watched on the film festival circuit, you know, 15 times in a row. And you just go like, all right, this is the section where you feel kind of every audience is like starting to fidget a little bit. There's this 15 minutes in here that if we could have tightened up, trimmed half of that. Um, there's there's definitely a little bit of a better movie in there. I'm still very happy with how it turned out. And, I, you know, it's as good as we knew to do then. And to be fair, uh, we finished our final shot, which was... Um, a, a night shot uh, as the sun was just about to break. Like the sky was already getting just like a little bit purple blue, you know? So like we didn't have time for a single other setup in there with how long we had the location. We literally came down to like the minute. So uh wasn't, wasn't possible there, but it's, you know, it's something for the next one for sure. Can I ask you guys, did you guys ever consider reshoots or to do pickups like after you know, like maybe renting the cabin again or, or trying to. Or is even that ever cheating a in a different location. That's something that we've actually been doing and finding that it works is like we've literally just painted a wall and like, hey, we can just cheat that this is the wall and with clever angles. And you guys ever, was that ever a consideration? We didn't have the funds 
to do that, um, to get crew and cast back together on location, especially since the location was pretty far away from LA, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. where everybody was. So it's coordination alone. Yeah. And I think we were foolhardy enough to believe that we had gotten enough and we had prepared quite a bit, um, naturally if we had to squeeze everything into eight days. So it was very, very planned out with spreadsheets and everything, making sure that we had coverage. Um, and we did go into it like naively confident Mm -hmm. about our decisions. And I don't think we would have made the movie had we not been so naive and foolhardy. I, I don't regret it at all. And I mean, hindsight is nice and we probably would have done things differently, but I mean, we got to finish like there were there were flaws, but there were no fatal flaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say I've seen the movie twice. I watched it at the festival and I've watched it on my own at home. And I mean, the, the movie really holds up. I think it's pretty it's pretty good. Um, but I can see those editing where I'm just like, I bet they wanted to cut this. Like in, in, in the thing is, you can tell. And and when you said it, I was just like, oh, I'm glad that I, I'm not like that. They see they see it, too. Oh, absolutely. And one key thing in a movie like specifically the one that we made, which is dialogue based, but also the entire movie hinges on whether or not the audience believes that it would be possible for Gabby, the female protagonist, to believe what the male protagonist antagonist uh, is telling her is true. Not whether the audience believes it, but whether or not you go, okay, I can see how somebody in that situation would come to believe that. So when it just exists on the page without a performance, um, you overwrite because you're really trying to convince somebody, like you're, you're writing it like a legal argument, you're trying to cover all your bases, and then seeing it in the edit, just even, um, you know, shots that you're putting in out of context that are like key reaction shots or something like that, where some of that work is being done for you, you don't realize always that, hey, I didn't make that point, but like now that we're making it, it's like nobody needs you to make that. Like it's it's repetitive now that we've actually got it on its feet and we're seeing it. So it's one of those things that on the page it actually reads cohesively because like if you're sitting there analytically, you kind of want him to say this because then that, you know, or underscore it here. But when it's all flying by, you know, uh, in dialogue form and you're getting the atmosphere of it, it gets repetitive and redundant or just completely unnecessary or raises questions the audience didn't have just to (laughs) try and bed those back down, you know? Um, So yeah, it's one of those things that we've just learned from bringing something from the page to the screen, you know, and we are now the most ruthless, like trying to cut and trim and all right, this is four lines of dialogue. How can we say it in two? Like there's gotta be a way, you know, uh, the, script we're working on now um it's dialogue heavy not as much as the previous one but uh we brought that down i don't know 40 pages of dialogue cut out of there trying to be absolutely ruthless so it doesn't happen again but it still will so So, that kind of leads into uh that's well hold on buddy so the film you're talking about is the great and terrible (laughs) the great and terrible (laughs) the great and terrible day of the lord that's the one so could you give our audience a synopsis of that film and then when was this released and yeah. yeah, so um, essentially it is uh, a couple's first romantic getaway together. Uh, been dating about like four months. They're going away to a cabin in the woods. And their first night in the cabin, uh, the boyfriend tells the girlfriend uh, that he is channeling God. He's, you know, Michael, the boyfriend, has disappeared. And now God is speaking 
through her and delivers the news that she's going to die before the end of the trip. Uh, and she has to repent and accept what is happening uh, and give her worship in order to uh, be saved from eternal damnation. So a lot of it plays out with uh, the back and forth of him trying to convince her that that's happening, but also when he has his lucid moments, he's then trying to convince her that it's not happening. And uh, it's just a fun sort of Twilight zone thought experiment. It did come out in... December of December something. 28? Oh, December 28th. December 28th of 2021, yes. And that Uh, was shot in eight days in a single location. Correct. Yep, two people exclusively. Awesome. So I I wanted to talk about, so you guys are working on a new script. And so what's what's that feeling like now that going into working on a new film? Great. Yeah. Uh, And terrible. (laughs) Day? (laughs) (laughs) Post-production sucks. And we were in post-production hell for so long with money woes and figuring out how to trim all <laughs> we don't of, know what that's like <laughs> how to trim all these things that like we really wanted to keep and you know we were very new to the editing process so there was a lot of learning on the on the fly um figuring out file types and things like that um getting help from people along the way um, it was a slog and I have no interest in repeating that multi-year process. Well, again. I will say and the scoring was fun. Um, that, that part of post-production. Absolutely. All the- well, we had spent so much time editing without music. So to see it for the first time with music, just breathe new life into it. Did you not use temp music at all? Well, during the edit we did. Yeah. Um, but then we actually had it scored by a composer named John Tadlock, the most talented man in the world. So I wanted to... I'll bring this up again, but first off, since we are kind of talking about the great and terrible day of the Lord, what do you think the role of a, cause I've been thinking about this just recently. What do you think about, what do you think the role is of a director? Um, to set the tone, I think, and make decisions. I think at the end of the day, that's really it to carry the vision um, and maintain consistency and make sure that everybody has is looking in the same direction uh, and can kind of see the movie that it's going to be. Not to do the jobs of any of the individual people on the set, but to make sure that everybody on the set is serving the same whole uh, and maintaining... Uh, tone is just an incredibly hard thing to keep consistent. Um, and it's so intangible. It's very hard to explain what you're going for aside from being like, okay, so you've seen this and you've seen that. We're kind of doing, you know, the happy medium in between here. You kind of have to feel tone. And I think that's uh, a lot of what the director's doing is just like, okay, yes, that, no, that. Like maybe people are bringing you choices and you're having to choose. And it's really, I think it's what is better going to serve the tone, what just feels right. And I I think the director is the uh, person who feels the movie um, and is able to direct the different departments uh, to do their jobs in a way that that feeling stays like it's always there, feels like it's always there. And then Clark, so then how do you think that carried through through post-production? Um, I mean, we had our hands on it yeah. the entire time. Um, so it was very much in our control, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Um, great because we were able to follow through with our vision, um, you know, front to back. But as we were talking about, uh, before we started recording, having another set of eyes on something Mm -hmm. that you have spent so much time and have looked at meticulously, you know, having a fresh perspective, someone that you can trust creatively, um, to come in and, you know, see things that you weren't able to see 
while still giving the direction and having the vision a collaborator. Um, so that that would have been nice to have. <laughs> and I'll say this, like as far as a fresh set of eyes goes, one thing that I definitely want to do on the next project is bring the editor on set. Um, mm-hmm. Because like we're saying about how tone is, or I was saying, that tone is sort of like this intangible thing. Individual shots put into an assembly line uh, and a script don't necessarily intrinsically convey tone, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not... everybody here has watched an assembly cut of the movie and been like, well, this is nothing like what it's going to be, but then you actually do shape it into something approaching what you wanted it to be. Um, Because those raw things by themselves don't magically come together into what's in your imagination yet. Um, And I think one of our big issues with our um, editor was not uh, his talent or his ability or his timeliness or anything like that. Um, You know, he's very proficient and uh responsible and all that kind of stuff but competent <laughs> i believe we all said fuck him on mm-hmm. the last time we met i think so <laughs> uh cooler oh, yeah, heads maybe that part. <laughs> T- uh, time heals all wounds so I, w- it does. I-, I wanted to talk about tone a little bit and how fickle tone is because this is something i've been seeing a lot as well as we're editing and how tone and just the portrayal of your characters how intensely that can change with the slightest of changes mm-hmm. just the Ease the smallest thing of a reaction shot. Like we've we have a, a shot where a character is talking about how she was, you know, nearly like her dad was like he killed himself and he like smirks like because he's not really paying attention. And like that wasn't like you know that and we added that in and it's like it completely changes now how you view the character because so the actor or the character the actor paying attention. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the actor's not paying attention in the scene and and it's kind of like, oh wow, like that kind of worked out great. Like holy shit. And then you can we can cut to that. And then he, when he gives this little smirk and he's just like staring at her chest, it's like, this is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a gross pervert, which is what we wanted. Um, See, go, going back to the director question, I, I think that's what makes a talented director is to be able to find those things and use it and like mold it into something that suits the story, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the reason why it's great to find, you know, I mean, obviously great actors and crew to work with. Um, I think some of the most fun we had was seeing them bring our vision to life and have their own input and be able to bring something to the table that, um, you know, the, the, it's greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that cause I've just kind of been really getting on this cause we've been editing our film mm-hmm. and it's the reaction. Cause you know how you guys were talking about like cutting parts of dialogue and trying to trim things down. For instance, when you said four lines of dialogue, trimming it to two. And how you can really do that simply through the reaction of someone, you know, mm-hmm. them not saying anything and just getting their reaction, you know, person A's reaction versus person B's or person B's reaction after the line. You know, maybe like using that as a way to just trim the dialogue and just, I guess, show and not telling. Um, so there, we haven't met with you guys in a long time. We haven't talked in a while. And there's a lot for you guys to tell us about. So I did want to get into... I did want to talk about post and how that went for you guys and its different stages and then afterwards because you also wrote an article or a Reddit post. Reddit post, Reddit post yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you shared it with us and I read it. I really liked it, in fact. It terrified it me, very actually. Insightful. <laughs> <laughs> and in I fact, was like, thanks, Jared. You scared me of shit. You scared me of shit. Like, no, already. But maybe you can navigate the waters better you, than we You did. scared us in the best way someone should. You know, you made us cautious of what we were going to run into on our end when we finish. And 
and actually that made me want to watch the film again and I did but we'll get into that later but I wanted to talk about you finish the film and now you're going to the post you had your complications with the editor I guess we talked about that on the last podcast we had then so and then real quick what two years pass Mm-hmm. You yes. know, um, so very just important distinction that between the time that we had our editing woes and Clark actually uh, felt like y- y- you were I, able to handle the edit yourself and we forged forward uh, 18 months to two years of inactivity. So then what led to you guys thinking that you could accomplish this? And then what happened after you realized the editor wasn't going to deliver what you needed? I think there was a failed Kickstarter there was. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I we, contributed. <laughs> I, did too. I hope you got your money back. Uh, I don't remember. I, I don't really get it. So I hope you did. I don't really <laughs> check that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. After we had our falling out, um, we were still looking for that collaborator. Um, I mean, I had very minimal editing experience. I could, I have cut together things um, on a small scale, maybe like, 10, 15 minutes tops, um, for shorts and things like that. Um, so it was incredibly daunting and a task that we just didn't want. Like we didn't have the expertise and we, we weren't foolhardy in that respect to, to just say, give me that we can do it as well as anybody else Which some other things we, we did that and, um, I stand by it. But for editing, yeah, we looked for a long time um, for somebody that I could either do it really cheap. Um, we weren't finding that. We tried to raise money. That didn't happen. Um, so it, it was a matter of getting the project done um, to handle it ourselves. And I, I think we had taken a crack at a couple scenes just sitting together. And we were playing with like the... J cuts and L cuts mm-hmm. and, and figuring that out for the first time. I, I, we might've looked it up that night. I don't know um, if we had just heard it and like, cause I remember us not knowing which end was J and L. <laughs> yeah. I always do this. Like uh, right. that's a J that's an L. Okay. Yeah. Um, He's holding his hands like, up. Wait a, a second. No, that's backwards. <laughs> um, Steven's like, make it an L cut. And I'm like, you can't, that's the wrong direction. <laughs> uh, so I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like playing around with it, the two of us, um, we were able to cut some decent shots within a scene and then agreed that, you know, we would be able to press forward alone. I think we started with just wanting to do like the opening scene and then there's a one pretty soon, right? So it's like uh, there's an exterior scene and then there's a brief exterior scene and a brief interior scene. And then there's like a six minute one So I think we were originally going like, let's just get through the one We had pretty much the first 10 minutes of the movie or whatever. And Those are like, like the opening drone shots, right? Of uh, a car heading to the cabin. We no longer have, I don't think we ever actually got the drone shots in that there. We definitely probably talked about having wanted to do it, but I, I think that was in assembly only. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we opened it directly on the cabin now. Um, But just playing through there, I think we were just doing it to talk to each other about like, see, this is the kind of thing that if we do this, we can probably trim out four minutes of the whole thing. As long as, you know, you don't have to cut to everyone starting their line. We hear it on the previous thing. You know, it's just like literally shaving off a half a second here and a second there and, you know, whatever it is. I think after we had the one or finish, we just kept going through it. We sat next to each other every single time that we edited and chatted about, you know, each thing, just put it together and... You know, Clark's the one who knows how to actually work the avid, so to speak. Um, 
And, oh, avid, huh? <laughs> oh, sexy. <laughs> um, but yeah, we sat there talking about every individual moment of it all the way through to the credits. We just kind of did it over the course of a couple of months. We'd go over to one or the other's apartment and have a couple beers and do as much of the edit until we were too drunk to or wives wanted the other person <laughs> home, you know? God damn, like dude. Us. See, look, you guys are the better mm-hmm. versions of us, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so look one at thing them. I wanted to ask about, <laughs> is this something that you guys think, and because I was, I've been thinking about this a lot, is indie filmmakers and filmmakers like at our level where we're not like getting lots of money, lots of money or support, is you're pretty much, if you don't have the editing experience, you have to start learning proficient editing. Because I think finding an editor that's going to work with you, like that's like probably like a miracle level status. Um, it's so difficult, and everything is like just so expensive. And when we're at, when you're at our level and you're mostly self funded, and it's just like holy shit, you want that kind of money? It's like my kid wants food, but mm-hmm. I mean maybe I'm going to finish the movie and he'll eat in college or something. Like, um, what do you guys think about learning proficiency in editing and? Like your advice to other filmmakers? I don't think any indie filmmaker or indie creative type, if you want to work in film, I think you need to be a multi-hyphenate. Um, I think every screenwriter, um, if you don't have people breaking your door down or have representation, should s- either find a director to collaborate with or uh, start thinking about like directing shorts and learning that muscle themselves. Yes, learning editing or have somebody that you know that you can collaborate with creatively who can do the edit. Um, But yeah, you cannot assume that uh, crew and people that are not going to be in front of the camera, everybody who's not an actor uh, are going to fall into place. Like you you should, you should know how to do pretty much everything that is not in front of the camera or be collaborating uh, with somebody who does. I think that's one of the benefits of film school is that you can get close to, on a personal level, people with different trades. So you can all work for free and grind because mm-hmm. you're all excited about the project. Uh, but people, by and large, are just not going to jump on to work for free because you're excited about your project and you're pretty sure it's going to earn the money on the back end. You know, um, Yeah, I would agree with that. But I would also say, uh, at least for what we're hoping to put together next, and uh, you know, I don't know how feasible this would have been because we didn't even do shorts together before we did the feature. So for us trying to break into features, you do have to make one. No one's going to trust somebody who doesn't have anything uh, to prove themselves with the movie. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm over self-funding, uh, you know, uh, it's yeah. about having yeah. enough money to pay yourself uh, to make the movie so that you're not um, in debt at the end of it and hoping to recover it via sales, you know, um, and being able to bring on the people that you need to finish it professionally or as professionally as possible might not be possible for your first thing but uh I, i'm pretty sure as long as that you you have something to show at this point to say like hey i finished the thing i did a thing i know how to do these jobs uh i think at the the very most you should only have to self-fund one time <laughs> and then you know you should be able to fix the editing problem but for your first foray if you don't have something to show what you're trying to do uh with writing or directing or whatever you're particular passion is within film uh then you should be able to do it all yeah as um in the context of indie filmmaking i feel like it's about will like you have to be willing to fill in those gaps wherever they are um and you may not want to um you may not be great at it but i i think you have to be able to push it over the finish line no matter what um before we got our score in place uh we were 
Googling, you know, um, free film scores, just browsing through tracks that are uh, public domain. And we were placing that in like it ended up being our, our temp score. But, you know, if the chips had fallen in a different way, we would have gone that route just to get it, get it made. And it would have been worse off. And we're like over the moon um, that we found John Tadlock to score our film. And he did a fantastic job and elevated it more than we ever could. But we would have been content with getting it over the line with, you know, uh, our our own crappy version of it. The worst thing you finish is better than the worst thing you didn't, right? You know? Yeah. And I will say that Clark and I sat in the edit um, and multiple other times throughout the process, even when we were getting into distribution, having to answer emails we didn't understand, um, Googling and watching YouTube tutorials and just figuring yeah. it out. Um, there's no reason why anybody can feel like they cannot uh, edit. There is affordable, if not in some cases, free software. You can use iMovie to edit a movie. Um, you might not be able to do everything as easily or you know, as uh, nuanced as, as you want, but you can finish something for free. DaVinci's uh, free. DaVinci's free? Mm-hmm. Now, what do we use? Adobe, right? You said Avid, right? Uh, I was just making a reference to the old yeah. oh, sort of Avid. I thought you were no, I'm sorry. trying to talk sexy for a second. <laughs> do you uh, use Avid? No, no. <laughs> we use Adobe. Yeah, yeah. No, we use, use Premiere. That's, that's mm-hmm. I wish we started. We need to start learning uh, DaVinci because it's it's a lot better and the tools are better. Um, yeah. Maybe this is. Did you have a question? Because I'm going to probably throw a big topic out real quick. Yeah, I did. Well, I'm going to throw a big topic. Mine's bigger, bitch. We'll see who's is bigger. <laughs> well, mine's on topic with where they just left off. Mine too. But you want to do uh, Ro- Rochambeau? Steven, well, wait, uh, wait. Steve looked like he had the idea first. I the feel follow like. up. <laughs> Very well. Go ahead, my lord. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I'll sip my drink quietly. How, how long did you guys spend editing yourselves? And then after you finished, did you then go on to the score like you were talking about, or what was the next step after the edit? You want to take that? <laughs> we. Uh, that was a blur for me. Is it? Okay. <laughs> like long nights. Um, I forget when we when we got John on board and started incorporating that, like where the edit was. Okay. So we had the two hour and 45 minute cut. Um, and then I, because I'm not very skilled at all, just technically on being able to make actual adjustments uh, to the edit. But once that was in there, I put in the temp score. Uh, and then I made some slight cuts off of that with the music just to show what, like, you know, if you're incorporating the music into the actual edit, you know, uh, what that starts to look like. Um, and then we sat on that very, very long cut for way too long. I remember we showed the actors when we had that long cut, which was uh, a mistake in, in hindsight. Oh, what do you that. say? Huh, interesting. <laughs> Ours in a long interesting cut. Interesting you mentioned that. <laughs> Did you do the same? <laughs> no, we haven't shown our actors anything for no, like seven years. No, but we were talking about it. <laughs> Not of the actors. I wanted to show our friends, who are, every one of our friends pretty much worked on the movie in some degree. Whoever you have, you trust their artistic feedback, show them at this stage, but, you know, somebody that will understand that it's, you Not guys may finished. be getting a link soon. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah happy. To, <laughs> oh, you guys are definitely going to get a link if you don't mind. I mean, yeah. We'll, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you get Steven drunk enough, we could watch it tonight. Drink <laughs> 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 <Bring> up. <laughs> and then uh, at some point, we got to hair up our ass about like two hours or bust, right? Like there's no reason for an indie movie to be over two hours, especially when we're, uh, it's just talking. Um, it's still too long, but just about as short as we could make it because half the 
movies on broken fucking wonders, unfortunately. Yeah, it's such you know? a dense topic. Yeah, I mean, a more ruthless editor, if we had the edits, could definitely get it down to 90 minutes. Um, I think we could probably get it down to an hour 50, an hour 45 or something like that. With oh, where, no, I think we squeezed every half a second out well, of Well, I mean, if we, if we had things to cut to, like if we didn't, oh, if we were oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There's definitely a point of diminishing returns mm-hmm. where you're just like, well, if fucking why don't we like if we're cutting this we might as well cut the rest of the scene right yeah <laughs> right yeah exactly it's like these are the scenes are written and planned to have a certain delivery and uh once art, you start right? cho- yeah. once you start chopping the legs out from that you know it's it gets harder and harder mm-hmm. so once we had that two hour cut we were somewhere in there when um suede the uh actor who plays michael and the lord um mentioned that his childhood friend i think um, is a composer and would like to take a crack at it and would, you know, essentially do it for, uh, you know, peanuts. We gave him more than he was asking for because he really would have done it for almost free. Um, just something to show that he had been paid for something, you know, for, for doing a film Ooh. score. Um, and, uh, you might need his number. Now he charges. Now yeah. he charges and oh, he, he deserves will. every penny that he gets. But, um, <laughs> So hey, we've been seeing some of the pitches that people have been sending, and it's like, oh, I don't have fifteen thousand dollars. No, he doesn't charge that. Uh, his his, his <laughs> rates are on his website, and you know they they're affordable. I, I don't know. I think like six grand for a movie, something like that, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's, oh, that's very kind of affordable. Our, what was our budget mm-hmm. idea? Well, he's great. If I could recommend anybody in the world to compose for you, we'll see. We'll see. And I'll that's your out. and that is who again? John Tadlock. And then what's his website then? Oh, I believe it's johntadlock.com, but let me actually look at it if I'm going to plug him. And while I'm yeah. doing that... Let I'll me just... ask my big question, because mine's way bigger than Steven's. Jesus, I should have known. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, buddy. I'm kidding. So with uh, what I want to talk about, and this is a topic we've been talking about with all our guests. And Wait, real the... quick. Real... Oh. johntadlockmusic.com. J-O-H-N-T-A-D-L-O-C-K. And then the word music, which you should know how to spell, dot com. You, you for six thousand, that's great. But, uh, you should you should read it's my notes. Exact. You should read my notes. <laughs> so it's the, it's the big two letters that we've been talking about with everybody, and those are AI <laughs> and using and the use of AI to complete films and how it's kind of been cheapening things. We've been using like with something we used to edit the podcast is this, is a program called Clarity VX, which essentially just singles out the dialogue, removes any noise, airplanes, mic. Muffles, anything Which, like that. If I can interrupt, if you notice the fans on, and when you guys were on, I said no fan, no AC, mm-hmm. complete oh, silence. <laughs> <laughs> we were all sweaty in there, but because of the AI, Tom's talking about. But that's a that's a tool like any other, and that's not yes. making creative choices right. or whatever. So that's not the same, right? It's scary not like AI a, that people not are not like reading. a mid journey. But like, how have you guys been kind of researching this? And this is kind of a big topic that we've been talking about with our guests, just because it's been making professional quality content more affordable uh, by using some of these tools. And then have you guys looked into it? And uh, yeah, your thoughts. Are you talking graphically as an aid? Are you talking... All, just the entire, the entire like, spectrum of just AI incorporated creative tools. Because I mean, we could, we've been, we've been, we used it for Clarity VX. There's tools that will paint out uh, images in the frame that oh, instead of yeah. having to do Photoshop... And yeah, the big one we saw was with color grading where now you, you know, I think it was in DaVinci, right? In DaVinci, yeah. You can create an artificial light mm-hmm. and it relights the shot. Wild. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, and is that a new tool? Yeah, it just uh, yeah, came out yeah. in the new DaVinci version. I mean, DaVinci I haven't played version. with it. I don't know how well it works, you know, in an actual thing, but 
especially for like day for night stuff. I mean, it was literally repainting a scene with this artificial light. I was like, what the fuck? That's wild. (laughs) So we could already use Photoshop and things like that for as long as that's been around at least, right? So that's a tool that's been out there. Uh, All the AI is doing, I know there's a Photoshop tool now where you can essentially write down what you want Photoshop to do Mm -hmm. and it will do it, right? Um, And if you know how to use Photoshop, you can do the end result already. where it is now, you can probably do it better, you know, if you're talented. But uh, I think all it's doing is making that ability more accessible to people who don't know the program. It doesn't seem like it's encroaching on any uh, human space. It still needs a person to know how to phrase what you're looking for uh, and tweak to get it to give you the right result. Um, So it's the same amount of people in front of a computer that are actually doing it. Um, You know, I think there's a difference between that and like the hypothetical, like, if you know, chat GPT gets good enough to like, hey, you know, write me a lethal weapon sequel that will work, you know, in 2027 or whatever it is. Um, Those are very different topics as a tool. I don't think it's any scarier than any other technology or, you know, I I think it's basically teaching people how to read. It's making things that are not accessible to everybody uh, more accessible. That's very interesting you mentioned it because to follow up on what you said, Tom, because I I was thinking if we were going to talk about news or not, because I sent Tom an article, um, one of the distribution houses, they're going to start using AI to kind of allow it to figure out the analytics of films they're going to select to choose to release. And it's going to measure the stars, you know, marketability, the script and everything, and just see like, okay, we got this this pitch. Is this going to make money? This one, how much is this going to make? And they're going to start incorporating the AI analytics. Bad idea. Now, what was really scary about that, because that does affect us at our level, was they were going to start using that for films in the film festival mm-hmm. and using AI to determine because they were they're using the example like a few years back, like when Coda came out, if you guys remember that film mm-hmm. that went to Apple TV, there was a huge bidding war for that. And during that time, there's a lot of bidding wars for all these various films. Well, now they're going to start using AI to then dictate which films, you know, analytically they're going to go in that bidding war over. Now they're saying that, like what you were saying, Jared, it's not going to replace a person. It's Mm -hmm. not going to replace the gut instinct, but it's certainly going to replace the the data person. It's going to compress all of that data management, figuring it all out to determine the outcome. I'm not going to say that it would be worse than a human person because uh, studios are similarly behind the times, but all a tool like that can do is identify current trends. Um, And just two big examples from like the last year, you know, if you plug into that, you know, um, esoteric, absurdist, you know, uh, sci-fi comedy with a predominantly, if not exclusively Asian cast, you know, uh, you're never going to get everything everywhere all at once, you know, from AI. Um, Mm. But if you plug in uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is playing an anti-hero, you know, uh, in the DC universe, you're going to get an automatic green light. And both of those movies uh, were greenlit. Um, and one was super successful. I don't think you would have if AI was making the decision. And the other, I think you would have if AI was making the decision and was obviously not super successful. Um, but, you know, studios are also similarly behind on trends. By the time you know that there is a trend, it's too late to start making a movie because yeah. by the time it's in post-production, you know, that's over. Same reason why by the time retail stores got fidget spinners, nobody was buying them anymore, you know. Um, so, yeah, it seems um, just uh, kind of useless because I think film festivals should be on the cutting edge. They should be looking for something that does not have 
uh, a precedent, you know, and that should just be based on a feeling. If it resonates with you, it'll resonate with audiences, you know, or theoretically, you know, you're a human being, have a, a human experience. And story, I think, is mostly about subconscious feeling being communicated to each other. I don't know exactly how to say this, but I can make the story where you can feel yeah. the thing I'm trying to express or the thing that I feel. Uh, it's it's somewhere in here, you know? Um, and I think you need two human beings communicating with each other to understand that. But my counter to that would be, because uh, Film Threat, which I know the great and terrible tale of the Jesus Christ, man. Great and terrible day of the Lord. <laughs> I, I keep know. saying terrible. You fought, <laughs> you fought them to keep the title. No, Remember but you guys were going to change terrible. the title. I came home one night it might have been that night and told my wife hey great and terrible day of the lord is out we're calling the movie mysterious ways uh and my wife was as almost asleep and she woke up in a rage <laughs> I, well go. remember you two are about to start fucking fist fighting <laughs> for a second no, jared looks like he could take me <laughs> I, I don't think so i don't uh, <laughs> you i've seen steve i have never I'm seen a lover, steve not fight. a fighter and no one's ever seen me fight either so that's not <laughs> happened uh, but uh, one thing I wanted to talk about. So then you don't feel at least the least bit cynical about how kind of how the festival system works with like programmers hiring out like two unpaid interns that watch five minutes of film and don't even make no, it to I, the No, I believe they watch the whole film because um, Ky Kylie, Kylie worked for a film festival. I've, I mean, I've read. And, and she said they all watch it. I don't Now that's not to say they pay attention the entire time. That might be true for Sundance and Tribeca and whatever, I'm sure by the time submissions are open, half of the top seven film festivals are booked through already. Um, a lot of that I, you know, do know is relationships and uh, you have to have sort of like a four-year consideration campaign to really get into one of those sort of festivals. There are people who their entire job is a, is a film advocate for film festivals. That's what they do as a career is advocate for your movie to be in one of those film festivals. And if that's happening and you're submitting your movie from somewhere in Idaho, you obviously don't have that. You don't have a celebrity in it. You're not a celebrity. You're not like, you know, Brie Larson making her directorial debut or something like that. Um, so I, you know, for, for me, my cynicism for the top seven film festival, they're not for us anymore. They're not indie film breakthrough, you know, somewhere from, you know, outside of the industry breaking into the, it's not clerks. That's not going to happen again in those film festivals. But that does happen on smaller ones. And it might not be any individual one, but you make enough noise going through the mid-level film festivals, which I think uh, do still have that sort of grumbling and underbelly that, you know, Sundance had before it was what it was when it was supposed to be what it was. Um, so, I no, the actual film fe festival circuit, we owe distribution to this movie on. That's where uh, our sales agent heard of us and reached out and got us distribution. Um, so I think it's still a useful thing for indie filmmakers to use to get their movie out there. Uh, but in, in terms of the top seven, sure, apply, because maybe you're going to be, if they have 10 spots or whatever, for we've never heard of you, we'll throw you on, you know, maybe we'll be one of those 10 spots. And then, yeah, you have the biggest audience in the world for indie film and the most opportunity that you could possibly have. But if your distribution plan is Sundance, and that's where you go after. Now, it's the mid-level film festivals for people like us. I will say that was championed also by C. Robert Cargill when he was on our mm -hmm. episode, and he actually listed out the festivals that indie filmmakers should be going for. I think you put the list on the show notes. <laughs> no. Okay. I well, just maybe. wrote it down for us, oh. and I, then I threw the notes away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we but always it's on, had, it's on the podcast. It, yeah, so if you guys want to go back and listen to that episode, he does list like the like seven festivals people should be looking for, like but Fantastic Fest, I think, I think Fest, one of the big ones Beyond that he Fest. did list um, – well, yeah. Well, those are big too, in my opinion. But was uh, Tribeca? I think he's he kind of listed Tribeca like still one 
Maybe I don't know a that big we one made that there was the cut off for Tribeca. Did we even apply to Tribeca? I don't think we did. No, I think we missed it. I think we missed that one. So, so I definitely want to get into you guys on that topic because that's what we're going to be facing. Um, but let's go ahead and finish on the post part because mm-hmm. that's where we're at. So I want to know your input, your wisdom. So you finish the edit, then I guess you get your the person to do the score after that. And then what what's what's going on with color grading, VFX, if you have any, um, what's going on with the the mix. the mix and dialogue cleanup, and and is marketing even in your brains at this point? Marketing should have been in our brains from the script. Um, I think it's post production is too late. And wow, the script. Okay, you know, I, marketing is something you want to have a plan for. From the beginning, you want to have a budget for it from the beginning. You want to be starting from the beginning. Um, I know of movies right now that the whole reason they exist is they're marketing the release of a movie that the script isn't done yet. And by the time they're ready to release, you know, they've got 50,000 people following their Facebook page or whatever it is. That fucking Kill Your Goats movie. <laughs> oh, I haven't even what? heard of it. Oh, <laughs> Leave my goats alone. <laughs> Steven sent Poor me goats. a link. He was like, look at this movie, Kill, kill Your Goats, <laughs> Kill Her Goats. And I fucking rented it. And I was like, God damn it, Steven. Well, <laughs> but I got, it had like I a got in like those indie, you know, little war poles of... It had like a, a had a nice website. You know, it had a great marketing campaign. It had some, it had like Kane Hodder in it. Mm. But it's like a movie... And, but it was like, I was like, God damn it, Steve, I'm fucking watch this movie. I paid money to see this goddamn thing. Yeah, yeah. It so was it no worked. great and terrible day of the Lord, that's for sure. I'll no, tell you what. <laughs> no, I oh, mean, don't, you, um, you don't want to lose momentum. So if you're not at a point where you know, hey, full steam ahead, we can get this thing done, we can get it out there. By that point, you know, I, you, you need to have an end date in mind and just barrel towards it, you know, hell or high water sort of thing. Um, but once you are in that mode, start marketing immediately that is not something to do after the movie's done that is not you know something that can be half-assed i mean that is who's going to watch your movie who's going to know about your movie you can have the best you can have the next citizen kane and if nobody knows about it nobody's watching it no one's writing about it um and you know it just kind of fizzles and maybe you have interest from 500 1500 you know twenty five thousand people uh and they all watch it you know within the first week of its release and that's who's seen it and that's how much money you make and then it disappears from consciousness and you know, there's no Google results for your movie six months out, you know. For, so, you know. Uh, Just like Kill Her Goats. <laughs> I, Yeah. I'm, We're talking about it now. And we got five <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Oh, they're nice. going to go watch Kill Her Goats. <laughs> I honestly might. <laughs> I'm intrigued. got another sale. <laughs> A lot of tits. Mm-hmm. Um, but the answer, <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's style of everybody. <laughs> oh, that's one way to sell your movie. Well, that's kind of why I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer your other questions, yes, color grading, sound mixing. Um, yeah, how did that go, Stevens? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I someone made the mistake of putting the bottle in front of me. I don't know who that was. <laughs> and I like Christ. how you're. Oh, I was gonna say you're the only one with a glass full, but uh, everyone well, else doesn't drink as quickly as me. <laughs> Well, this, you know, this is number two, though, for us. I was going to say, this yeah, is number we, three. I was drinking wine before you guys. That's why, uh, Clark, I said the wrong name for you. <laughs> I was kind of very tipsy. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but we absolutely should have considered marketing way ahead of when we did. But mm-hmm. we were kind of taking it one step at a, at a time because yeah. none of that was guaranteed. Also, um, so, so it was kind of, thing, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but kind of like part. what Jared was saying is, Again, this is what I think why maybe something we haven't done with marketing is you kind of need to know the date that mm-hmm. it's coming out right. to market to. Buddy, what do you think this podcast? Why do you think I said yes to this thing, buddy? <laughs> this is the dead head. What the fuck should 
dickhead. <laughs> you don't even know the name of our Marketing. movie. Well, you know, we shot the movie in 2017. Is that right? You can't 18. start... 2018? Yes. Maybe. Yes. So, okay, we shot the movie in 2018. It came out in 2021. You can't have three years of marketing, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's not the typical lifespan of a movie. Six years isn't the typical lifespan of a movie. But it is maybe for the first indie movie that you do. But, you know, it, you know, as we move on in our careers and have our sophomore efforts and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, you're going to go from, I mean, obviously you have all your pre-planning and writing and pre-production, all that kind of stuff. But you're going to go from, you know, your first call of action to being released, you know, hopefully inside of a year, a year and a half, something like that, where from the time that people are aware of it to the time that people are going to put their money out to see it is the time that they remember the advertising campaign, but you can't sustain yeah. interest over four years. So for us, if we had started on day one, um, you know, it would have been kind of or not or embarrassing or something like that. But uh, if we had guaranteed distribution from the beginning, we would have been working on it the whole time. But that was by far and like leaps and bounds um, way more important to us than how we were going to market once we got it. Yeah. Is it more of a like, poison or a cure to not have a deadline? Poison. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I, I think. How would it be good? I mean, you could just work on it forever. But you would. Right? That, that, <laughs> like that 80-year-old guy that released that one book. He's like, I worked on this since I was 22. Yeah, and then he read book, it and it was right? like, it's called like The Sages of Flowers or something. And you're like, and you couldn't come up with a better title in 62 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think everybody, like, when, when you're our age and old, you're, <laughs> and the year you were six years ago when you started making this movie and stuff, you know, you're, you're a passionate I was like creative. Such a young lad. And you know that you have a masterpiece under your belt, you know, you know, and, and it is to the 19 year old person who started it or the 24 year old person who started it, you know, whatever it is, it is a masterpiece to you, but it's not the first thing you make is just not going to be a masterpiece. You know, uh, I, I think for what we made, that's as close to a masterpiece as we possibly could have done for two people without absolutely any connections outside of the two of us. Um, and no experience, literally no experience, you know? Um, so I'm very, very proud of you know, our movie, but you know, it's not, um, you should be, I rated it 10 out of 10 on IMDb and wrote a review. Thank you. Thank you. And didn't, I didn't even get paid. You know what? Didn't, didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, that might've moved us up from 2.8 to 2.9. Right. Hey, yeah. It made a dent. Cause the next guy that reviewed said that was an asshole. So. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> At least you fired up. The, it was like the guy that gave this movie a 10 is an asshole. And I was like, I'll fucking fight you in real life and I eat your face and kill your family. The people who un- <laughs> and eat your okay. The people who understood really. the movie that actually got what we were going for, I'm very happy with their reaction. We knew from the beginning that there were going to be people who read the movie in one way or another, and they did. We had people that think it's a religious fundamentalist conversion movie, and we have people that think it is an atheistic, anti-theistic takedown of religion. Um, and we knew we were going to get both criticisms. I don't think we thought it was going to be the majority of people who ended up seeing the movie. Um, but uh, the people who actually understood what we were going for, uh, I, felt I still the same think way it, it was a loud minority. I, I think so too. I, I do. We have quite a few pirated. We have hundreds of thousands of pirated views. And I'm very happy with just even that. Yeah. Hey, I mean, you know, I always tell Stephen, like, he's like, you know what, buddy? There, there's no handprint there or whatever. And I'm like, if someone notices that, that means they made it there and they were paying close enough attention to realize that the handprint's not there. And, Good problem to have. And we've won. Uh, but, you know, I was trying to... I had a question about... And it was very good. Well, I'll follow up. Go ahead. So, <laughs> all of that's very, very important for us to follow up on is the, you know, the festival market, the pirating, where you guys are now, following up. 
I'm just trying to get the post here, okay? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Color grading, yeah. <laughs> and you answered the question. Uh, okay. Well, our cinematographer editing. did color grading. Um, huh? He offered to do it. He wanted mm-hmm. to do it. Um, our cinematographer uh, is amazing. His name is Tom Dowler, and uh, he came from the documentary world, and he wanted to break into the narrative world. So um, he was willing to use his talents and his red scarlet or ep- red epic whatever camera, epic W. Dragon? Was it? Yeah. Well, whatever that's what it was. you guys said. A red. A red. red. Yes. Um, uh, he, he donated that to the production um, in order to have a narrative feature under his belt. And he was paid uh, like my life savings, but a paltry sum for him uh, yeah. to do the movie. He demanded, uh, not to, I demand is, is a strong word, but he insisted upon uh, bringing his first, his own first AC, his one of his um, requirements of coming on was that he got yeah. to name his own first AC and set the rate. And the rate that he set for his first AC was more than we had budgeted for him alone. The amount that we had budgeted for a first AC was nothing because I didn't know what a first AC was when we started. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, but luckily, I still don't know what that is. I just hear it mentioned a lot. <laughs> like the first time that sets up the camera and, uh, you know, you got to pay that motherfucker a lot, a lot of, of money. Just pulling. give him a beer. The, the yeah, was, pulling. Was, was pulling they build the camera, disassemble the camera, change lenses. Uh, they, sometimes it's the second AC that does purely focus pulling if you have a second AC. I thought that was the focus puller. That's kind of the same thing. Kind of. They're like interchangeable. AC stands for assistant camera, if I'm assistant not mistaken. Assistant camera, yeah. correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, he was willing to do the movie just because he wanted the credit under his belt, and God bless him for doing that because, uh, you know, I think he did a fantastic job, and I think he offered to do the color grading for free for the same reason. Um, I, that might have been another thing he insisted on, actually. Really? Yeah, because color because color I, yeah, I remember him mentioning, I think while we were on set, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, after right, you get the right. edit done, go ahead and send it back to me. And have we name dropped? Tom Dowler is his name. Okay. Yeah. Um, our uh, cinematographer, he um, set the bar for professionalism on our set. Um, we and this is something we talked about on a previous podcast, but we were ready to shoot the movie in our apartment with my DSLR camera and us as actors. Um, Like that, that was where we started. Who was going to play Gabby? Clark. (laughs) Obviously me. (laughs) Can't you tell by the eyelashes? Well, you could just change Gabby to Gabe and then you guys could just make out. I mean, God might not be very happy about, Something. <laughs> a lot more. Dynamic. That's the viewer's problem. <laughs> I mean, I got no problem with it. Mm-hmm. You know, we could recreate it right now. You got your camera, buddy. I got there's, a, there's a red. There's a red right next to your do you leg. Do you, yeah, do you, it's right next to your foot. Do you own it? Yeah. Are, are you renting it out on GridShare? Do you see how dusty it is? Yeah, <laughs> we own it. Man. Rent it. Are you renting it out? No, it's. You should fucked be renting up. it out. That thing can make your. No, it's fucked up. Is Trust it? us. It, if you look at our film, uh, you'll see how it's fucked up. But it actually makes a really good image, and it's one of the best digital images I've seen yeah. outside of the high-end Aries. It, it's incredible, especially it, if you it have It kind of light. creates like this analog feel, because mm-hmm. like um, the social network was shot with it. I don't know what else, but I like that movie. Probably one out of every two movies in theaters. Yeah, well, back then, I hate, you know, especially. I fucking hate social network. You do? I yeah, love I'm not the a social fan network. Of it. Wait, no, that's the wrong opinion. Tell me why. No, uh, well, one, I, I think my biggest problem with that movie is, it's hard for me to get involved with the movie where I hate the characters. You're supposed to. You, exactly. But you can't. So it's like your job was to make me hate the movie. You succeeded. No, no I hate, the the character, hate the character. Hate the movie. How but do you feel about hey. There Will Be Blood? I like There Will Be Blood. And but I so think you, that's do you like presented. Daniel Play, Plainview? No, but I like the writing, the characters, and the story. My problem is that the real life interjects with what is told in the story. If it was a fictional story, would you have felt it? It would have been way better. 
The okay. problem is that it's not, and it's clearly based on reality. I thought you some, didn't allow your own bias to affect your opinions on films. We've talked fuck? about this a lot. I'm a lot about bias. I you just tell me you never allow the Practice art. how I preach, or whatever the saying <laughs> is. You know, do as I say, not as I do. That's what I tell my kids. <laughs> Damn, how much whiskey did you give him? I don't know, but I need <laughs> some more. My, my cup is dry. Uh, but what I wanted to say is about your guys' movie that I love so much is that it creates an internal dialogue with the viewer because then you're just like, well, what would I do in this scenario? What questions would I ask? And I remember that's what I was thinking hard. And I was just like, man, there's a lot that I would ask God. Like, fuck, I would say fuck you to God a lot, I think. But I think that's what is fantastic. And you guys should really go and rent uh, The Grand Terrible Day of the Lord and you know, go and go watch it. Thank you. I, we, that's definitely what we um, hoped. Thank you, Stephen, who's that people would glasses. watch it. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that people would watch it. And that it would just create, you know, I think um, we wanted people who were religious to be able to see how strange it looks from the outside. And we wanted people who were not to be able to see, like, in a vacuum, I get it. Like, if all that existed was this cabin and all I understood was what this person was telling me, like, that could be reality. Why not? Like, everything you're saying is consistent. That could be reality. And... Ultimately, it just depend, depends on which sign of am I willing to accept it, you know, without uh, 100% proof at where is that line for you? And is there a threat? You know, is there a consequence that can make that line a little closer to where you're willing to step? Um, you know, that is where we're hoping just to expose where that boundary was, no matter which side that you're on. And it seems like... Uh, I, I honestly think it's been successful in doing that. I think that's why people are having emotional reactions to the movie is that um, it makes people feel more empathy than they were hoping for for the other side, um, which makes them think we're attacking their side because now they're sympathetic to the side that they're not currently on. Um, and I think that's why they're having... Is it, uh, I said this on the Reddit post that you referenced earlier is that, you know, I think one of the mistakes of making your debut feature film where nobody knows you or your sensibility or your worldview um, is that they can ascribe whatever motivation they want to to why you made the movie, right? You're either trying to convert people to a religion or you're trying to take religion down, you know, and it wasn't about that. Maybe we would have chosen a less uh, divisive and deeply emotionally and you know, just permanently ensconced uh, topic for a debut feature film. Yeah, that's why we made a movie called Dickhead. <laughs> so, for <laughs> I thought it was called Deadhead. Hey, it's called Dickhead. That's all. Yeah, it, that's always be been called, the title. Well, it's gonna be. I'm not. I don't give a shit. It's gonna be called Dickhead for the festival run. Everyone but if someone head. picks it up and they want to change the title, I don't care. Netflix <laughs> did into the first world. You can do Dickhead. But, um, it makes sense. So is it? Essentially, once you get past the edit, you feel like you kind of get past the majority of what post is, and then it's on to releasing it. Or is there still a lot of obstacles to overcome, or that you faced with this film? Um, yeah, definitely. The job is not done. Then, even though it did feel like we were over the hump once the edit was locked, um, just because that had taken so long um, involved so many man hours of our own. I mean, we worked on it way longer than the actual shoot. Um, so and it's not a passion of ours. It's not something we're skilled and excited to do. Right. Um, so after we got to that point, it was very much a relief. And um, I mean, I think we would have been happy releasing it then. I mean, I, not as thrilled um, as how it ended up, but like just the fact that we were able to get it 
one step closer to the finish line, um, a little bit more polished. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, the music was a, a really, really fun process. And like I said, it breathed new life, um, into the movie itself for us, um, and got us looking at it in a different way. It only um, got us more engaged, excited, loving the movie more, you know, that's a very fun, that's almost as fun as shooting.